Hello everyone listening at home, welcome to the Highlander cast. We are the official podcast of the 7 Point Highlander format. I am one of your hosts, Sav. Vance isn't here today, so we uh, apologise for the various delays in getting some content out there. I'm sure you're all very familiar with the uh, soul-sapping nature that COVID has on uh, motivation, time and all of these other factors. So there's been quite a few things that have been barriers for us to uh, continue recording on a regular basis. However, I thought this was a nice little opportunity to just um, throw out a little bit of free content there in the event that anyone wanted to listen to a brainstorming session. So recently, the Adelaide Eternal team got together to just have a chat about the recent update. And we were thinking about which directions our brews would go in. We started to throw up some deck lists and get some ideas from each other and Uh, basically just uh, put together the types of decks that we would want to play going forward from this February update and really what excited us about the points change. So the pairings of cards and even some individual cards that just motivated us to uh, brew and build around. So uh, I would like to make that audio available to you. This is also available on YouTube in the event that you prefer that particular medium. Uh, We really don't use too much of the screen, so feel free to just listen along with this via audio. Uh, And then if you want to, you can just follow the link in the podcast here and uh, you'll get all of the links for the deck lists that we discuss. Uh, But if you do want to see those deck lists pictured on screen, then there's also that option to watch it as a video on the YouTube channel. So that's entirely up to you. That's the Adelaide Eternal YouTube channel. We'll link it down uh, below. Uh, And as I said, we're not charging uh, the podcast listeners for this episode. This is a little bit of a piggyback. Uh, We were making that content anyway for the YouTube channel, so we thought we'd just uh, pop the audio up here as well. Keep uh, Highlander trending, uh, keep thinking and brewing, and uh, hopefully this gives you a little bit of uh, something to listen to uh, in the car or wherever you might be where you normally get your uh, Highlander podcast fix. So without any further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello everyone watching at home, you're with Adelaide Eternal. We've got uh, the usual suspects, myself, Sarva McClinton and Drew Carter, uh, and we have very, very special guest star over here, Daniel Abraham. Um, Dan, how's it going? Yeah, good thanks, Sarva. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for all coping with uh, uh, various forms of uh, COVID in our states. So hopefully you're staying yep. safe over there. And, and Drew's in South Australia as well. So uh, hopefully yeah, you're safe too, Drew. Yeah. Yeah. Former safe haven. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we survived yeah, the well, years. And then, yeah. The ACT, we're familiar with that. We were safe mm. for a long time. And then like you start you start to get a bit more used to it. So um, get, your, <laughs> get your booster is all I've got to say. That's it. But, Good call. Uh, yeah. So um, what we're doing today is we're actually uh, talking about our inspirations from the recent uh, points update. Uh, now, being on the committee, I, I know what's been going on in the background and I, you know, had that uh, um, kind of little bit of excitement at the background in the background thinking okay maybe I can work with this maybe I can work with that but most of the time whilst you're on the committee it's just a matter of just trying to make sure you make the right decision and and then get the update done and then get it announced and it's only really after the announcement when it settles that I kind of sit back and go okay what can I brew and it was probably you know the night of that I, I messaged everyone and said what are we going to brew? <laughs> what are we going to do with this with this crazy update? Um, so I thought what we'd do is we would just record 
our brewing session where we uh, bring together just rough draft lists of ideas that we've had uh, and just generally talk about what we think the big movers and shakers are going to be in uh, the latest update, the next, you know, three months or so. And then maybe kind of call attention to some clusters of cards that might be moving together and might be inspiring new decks, uh, but also maybe some of the decks that have been a little bit in the shadows of, uh, you know, big, fast tempo uh, decks and uh, looking at what might come to the fore. Uh, so, yeah, I think everyone's pretty tired of seeing rug life go all around the place and they just let's not talk about that one too, too much you, you can't that. be too displeased though so i'll give them yes. the originator Look, i'll go back and i'll play og rug life and with the new yeah. cards and be at like 25 points or something yeah that's right <laughs> um, well it's funny like you know um i think was it less than six months ago like now my like oracle breach deck is 14 points like it's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy right um but it's sort of um, shows the the impact that some of the um, the printings in the past twelve months have really had. Yeah, it's, it was yeah. a necessary adjustment. Yeah. The power creep, the modern horizons factor, twenty nineteen plus. It's been a big big challenge for the committee. Keep up with that influx of very powerful cards, and I think you've, as a committee, you've with this update, you've shown that you're a greater willingness to be a bit more aggressive or a bit more um, kind of proactive in managing that that power. Because because if you were keeping it at the old kind of trickle, you might might have let the things run away. It's a big challenge for the committee. Yeah, you definitely got it in in one there, and it's not not easy. But we'll we'll see how things go with this update. And and I, what I'll do is I'll just share this to kind of remind ourselves what we're looking at. Uh, and we can see here we've got the points announcement, and this is uh, probably second most changes in in one update uh there was one in 2012 which had a whole host of changes and i think this one is the the second largest number of movements uh but essentially the largest number of movements in modern times you know 10 years 10 years on um whether or not we'll see this going forward every three months uh, you know with this amount really remains to be seen it's it's going to be dictated by how the format pans out so uh why don't we look at um you know as players what is it about this uh particular update that stands out to us uh what are the cards that um you know might want us to start brewing and and then we might uh flash up a couple of ideas that that we've been having in the background so um, who would like to to go first? What's your what's your favorite call out, Dan? Maybe. Yeah, well, I think like the most obvious thing is like um, if you're playing a rug based deck, um, whether or not it's a four color deck or a, a three color deck, like what's the right points configuration? Like what do you shave on now? Um, you've essentially lost um, between three and four points in Arcanist, Gush, Lutri, and Ragavan there, um, uh, and so I think brewers will need to decide um, whether or not they really want to keep the like Dreadhold Argonist is an amazing engine. Lutri and Gush pair really well together as a late game bomb to draw four. Um, I think that Ragavan is likely the casualty, um, like the, probably the first casualty it was for me when I was thinking about what I wanted to do. And then I probably thought, okay, so are there any sort of functional replacements for Gush? Is Lutri, you know, really gravy? Do I really need it? Like that kind of thing. So um, 
I, I expect people will probably hang on to Oko and Renin 6 um, because those are a really great value, I think, um, uh, at that. But it's it's that package and and how you how your deck copes with that is probably sort of the first major um, issue for rug players, I think. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that uh, Lutri, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, it can only copy spells three mana or less or, or something like that because of the nature of the decks that it's, you know, often seen in. But that's not necessarily the case, is it? <laughs> no, yeah, you can copy cool. Submerge. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, backbreaking. Like, because yeah. like, I play a lot of rug with a splash of white, like I thought of sort of Lutri and Dreadhold Arcanist with Swords to Plowshares as a sweeper. So like you copy the plow um, and kill two two creatures, and you attack with Arcanist and kill another one, um, and so you get to play like a, a main deck sweeper without having to play a main deck sweeper um, that is relevant in the mid game when you're trying to win combat. So yeah. I love it. I'll just pick yeah. up on Dan's comments a bit, Sarf, because yeah, Dan's. We'll look at Dan's list later, but his is a bit more mid rangey because um, I think some of the other people in the Discord have are keen to keep the very the early game power of the rug tempo less depends how then this is one of the uh i think aims of the the pointing was to give rug players make them make a decision between how, do they want to be all in on the early game as per your recent article like that plan or do they want to have like a strong plan b in terms of the oko and other kind of value engines or mid-game kind of breakers. So yeah, primarily yeah. Euro there. Like, do you, like you know, Euro isn't really a tempo card. Like, that's what you do to recover um, when you're in a rug list. It's like blowing it out in the late game. Like, can you afford to keep doing that um, with the current points configuration? I think that's right. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So it's uh, forcing these uh, tempo decks or at least low CMC decks. Uh, whether or not they commit wholeheartedly to a tempo plan or whether it's like a tempo mid-range hybrid, tempo control hybrid, and in some cases, tempo combo hybrids with, you know, Thassa's Oracle and the like, uh, whether they um, can, you know, stay as hybrid decks or ideally they're being pushed down one path or another and you have to make a critical choice based on your metagame. So, um yeah, this, this is probably the, the biggest change to the nature of the format. So if we think about uh, the repercussions of that, let's say that um, because of these particular changes here um, the and, and associated with some of these other changes, encouraging people to play a bit slower, um, that we see either decks that are really, really uh, committed to uh, early game aggression, but then peter out if you can drag them into the late game, um, or they lose out on some of that early game aggression because they're allowing themselves to be flexible. Um, I guess we're probably all on the same page that the format will be uh, either slightly slower or allow slower decks to prey on decks that aren't equipped to go slow. Is that, is, are we kind of on the same page on that? I yeah. think the Ragavan and the Dreadhold Arkness pointing definitely weakens the early game of those blue-red tempo decks, yeah. So I think I, mean, I think yeah. yes, broadly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing is like you've got to recognize that those three in particular, so Arcanist, Gush, and Ragavan, um, are part of the support package for the breach decks as well. Um, yes. and so there are like there are implications for how resilient um, those decks are as well, if they've got to start paying additional points for those um, uh, for those kinds of cards as well. Absolutely. I know that I know that like when I tried to brew just straight Oracle um, after the 
the points change that added four points to the breach Oracle deck, um, it felt real weak. And so I think there's some further testing to be done around to what extent the, the breach deck is still as strong as it is. Um, I think it had a few, um, what do you call it? Um, free roll points to play with a little bit. So it may still be strong. And in particular with Lurus as, as still a single point, I think it's likely to remain strong, um, but there is definitely some weakening to the support package. Um, in yeah, Breach well. is really interestingly positioned, isn't it? As this uh, uh, a combo deck that has the ability to combo off quite quickly, but also it's such a small package, kind of like Thoracal, such mm. a small package that it can have either a tempo plan uh, or a control plan, some other kind of supplemental plan um, that allows it to go a little bit toe-to-toe -to -toe with some decks. Um, obviously that uh, being able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, you know, a dedicated mid-range deck that has just enough speed bumps to stop you or just has that stony silence or whatever it is, uh, it becomes really hard to kind of trade card for card against those types of decks. Um, but it, it sounds like the, uh, the slowing down of the predominantly red, red-blue uh, decks is going to open up some new options. So maybe let's change tack now and let's think about... Um, What's the exciting developments for, for us? What can we build in this space? And I think the first uh, point that I'd like to call out, and this might be a little bit of a hot take, um, but I believe that um, these two cards, Birthing mm. Pod minus one and Jason Mind Sculptor minus one, are actually two, essentially providing two points to mid-range decks and encouraging them to play blue, which uh, has not necessarily been the case with uh, the most dedicated purest mid-range decks have largely been, let's say junk. Junk is a really great example. Uh, it's really streamlined and uh, you know plays a birthing pod in it and then uses its extra points as strip mine, wasteland, Caracas, those types of support cards. But now that you have Jason Mind Sculptor at minus one, uh, it strongly incentivizes you to uh, consider building blue-based mid-range decks. And um, I, I still hold firmly <laughs> to the fact that Jace the Mind Sculptor, uh, and this is very much illuminated by when it was one point, uh, is a mid-range card, not a control card or a tempo card or an aggro card or a combo or any, any other. Uh, you know, people will go, Jace, blue, it should be in all blue decks or it should be in control decks but when you play control and you have to protect mm. your planeswalker and jump through hoops it's so different from going mana dork three drop jace the mind sculptor and then your opponent's like oh wait a second i wrath the board and you have a jace okay so i'll kill the jace but you're beating me down with creatures uh and you just don't care if they kill the jace you don't mm. care you bounce to tassiger and attack and you made this really glorified unsummon that drew a removal spell uh uh, mid-range has the ability to just throw its mana around as needed um, and uh, as long as you're hitting your curve um, something like Jace can be quite interchangeable now at zero points with many other four drop uh, threats it's a threat but it now gives mid-range decks the ability to win with fate sealing or <laughs> the ability yeah. to you know bounce critters like Teferi does if anyone's played Teferi Time Raveler in a mid-range deck before uh, you know the feeling of just Tarmogoyf, bounce your creature and then go for gold. And hey, I drew a card and now I'll play a four drop. And yeah. Mm. Uh, what do you yeah, think, think about that? I think it would be interesting to see like whether or not it um, continues to cut it. Like 
um, when I see the points change, I, I see the, the Jace Life from the Loam um, de-pointings there, and I immediately think of the Legacy Dark Band decks, um, which are oh, using nice. Life from the Loam to fuel uh, multiple Euro escapes. Um, at the same time, like the Jace isn't entirely isn't like that integral to that the, the strategy of those decks. It's a good card that's in there. And it's the kind of deck that, like you said, performs well when you're ahead on board. It performs badly when you're behind yep. on board. So I think like probably the jury's out on that. Like when I saw it, I immediately just like threw Jace in. I tested it a bit and I was like, oh nah. I'll just play Questing Beast instead, because like I'll just kill the Jaces. You know, how can I um how can I take advantage of people for playing Jace? And like um same with Life from the Loma, like, the tempo on that isn't so hot. It can generate a lot of like card advantage, like particularly if you've got sort of a a bit of a land strategy in there, like a wasteland or something like that. Um, but we've also got really cracking graveyard hate um, in the format now as well. And there's a prospect of getting blown out on tempo. If someone like drops a Tarmogoyf and then endurances you, um, you know, like you're pretty far behind on that. So I think those ones, I think there's a little way to go to see how much impact they have on competitive decks in the format. Yeah, you're so right. And I, I really like your point there during, during the, um, uh, uh, comparison to the legacy decks as well with Uro and uh, one Jace or something to kind of top off their curve. And mm. uh, it's likely that we could explore the space of, um, you know, blue, green, X control, where you have uh, maybe black for the early game or red for the early game, but you uh, have your Jason Mind Sculptor brainstorming away the cards you drew from life from a loam, living the dream of shuffling them away because you lo loamed back a fetch land. Like you can do all this kind of stuff. As long as you've got a plan for the opponent who just goes turn one hex drinker, turn two Tarmogoyf, turn three uh, Teferi Bouncy Blocker, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, I don't well, know, those, like, yeah, those decks. Great cards. That's right. Yeah, those decks um, in the legacy format are playing sort of eight white removal spells, so four prismatic ending, four sorts of flash shares. Um, so you need to, yeah, definitely have that, that kind of heavy removal plan. And so. Yeah, and like generally, I think the white removal is pretty well positioned at the moment as well. But it's not, as Ragavan showed, it's not that easy to control reliably the early game. So I, I agree with you, Sabra, how Jace is really good when you can win the board and make him hard to attack. And um, so it's your curve topper in a kind of a mid-range deck. It's, yeah, because if the, part of the aim was to like empower control decks, that, that, it does meet that aim, but by giving it another bomb, if you can manage to sweep the board or whatever. But yeah, I think it is... It is, as you said, good in mid-range decks as a curve topper. But whether or not it's good enough, um, well, time will tell. But it's good to have the experiment. I'll yeah. just go back as well. When you when we talked about kind of nerfing the early game of like these tempo decks with the Ragavan and Dreadhold Arcanist, say, um, pointing, as a player, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to keep these cards. I'm going to keep my early game really good. And then your hope for me to peter out, just because I'll now lose my Oko or whatever, uh, I'm going to frustrate that hope by playing Clothos or something else. Like, there's always cards to give me mid game, um, so I'm going to put still keep put the pressure on you and make make you have it in the early game. Yeah, that's, that's, that'd be my approach as a player. That is, yeah. I totally agree. Like, that's absolutely a critical distinction, and that is, um, you know, there's they say there's no bad threats. That is absolutely for certain the the case um, when it comes to three drops. There are so many good three drops that you can choose. Um, when it comes to one drops in red, there are, um, and even two drops in red, but one drops in red, there are so few incredibly good ones um, that 
when you pay your point for Agavan, uh, and this is my argument, is uh, if everyone goes, oh, Ragavan's a point, I'm not going to play it. But you go, I'm going to commit to this plan and I'm going to be the one to play Ragavan. People are less equipped to deal with it. And you just get them in the same way with True Name Nemesis when, you know, yeah, True Name goes Brennan Crawford's list from CanCon. So the guy came second, um, wasn't Brennan Oko, played True Name Nemesis instead. It's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Like, no one's prepared for that anymore. Yeah. Exactly. If people are not equipped for the thing that you are doing, uh, then that's that's a great explanation for why you would pay what maybe other people are looking at as an overcosted point. They're like, oh, true name at two, I'd rather play something else or two one-point cards. But you're going, well, I know that people aren't going to play it. Therefore, they're not prepared for it. And therefore, I will wreck them with it. And that's kind of what Ragavan uh, is there for. And even Dreadhorde Arcanist at, at one, um, on the curve at two, if people are relying on bone crusher giants because they think they can go a little bit later and get more value and they skimp on chain lightning type effects and they can't answer that Dreadhorde, uh, it's it's really, really backbreaking. So a lot of the um, the versions of, of uh, Rug Life that I've been, uh, you know, experimenting with, with the new point structure, make that decision between uh, do I play one piece of power and then have um, decent threats because all threats are good or do I go no power and play incredibly good threats that ev every one of them just absolutely dominates the game and, and you spell pierce and you win the game. So there's, I think I haven't settled on which one is better, but also one of them is more budget. So <laughs> yeah, I think, I think spell pierce does get better now with chasing the format as zero. Yeah. yeah. And spell pierce is, is great. Like I, I, when I see people cutting spell pierce, I think, you know, this format is all about really low CMC and really, really tight mana bases. Spell Pierce is a hard counter for one for most of the time that you play it. Negate for one instead of two. Uh, that's insane. It's so good. Yeah. There's also a lot of good creatures now. Can I put the counter argument yes. um, for that one? Which that's is, what we're here for. Um, so... I played a lot of Oracle Breach, right? I never feared Spell Pierce because um, I could play around um, the Spell Pierce by doing my, you know, waiting wait to the fourth turn, Tainer Pact on the end step, and then cast my Oracle. And I can always pay for the Spell Pierce all the days with my Lion's Eye Diamond when I got Breach in play if I wait for long enough. Um, so, you know, I was more worried about Force Negation and, um, uh, and the other kind of, and Force of Will, stuff like that. Um, yeah, Spell that's Pierce. true. So as a, as a defender against combo, um, I don't think it's quite as effective. I think it's a fantastic card um, for defending your own threats and defending your own combo. Um, but as a purely defensive um, tactic, it's not quite as strong um, against the combo decks in the format that would have been prevalent for now. Yeah, you absolutely hit the nail on the head there. And, and it's all about that context. In many contexts, it's one mind in the gate. In other contexts, it just leaves a door open for your opponent to play around. Really wily players uh, that play around it thinking that you've only got one piece of defence, you know. Yeah. Oh, you you uh, hit the nail on the head. Um, yeah. So we but I might play it again now that everyone's on Jace. <laughs> <Yes, exactly. laughs> so, uh, we we now we now are in a world where 
everyone, if everyone, many people start cutting these low to the ground threats and they want to play their free cards like Jace and like Malone, let's say, or Birthing Pod, whatever it might be, and we draw ourselves into this uh, slower game, um, what do decks look like? So I, I'm going to share one of mine as an example. Uh, and then maybe Dan, you can share one of yours because I think our two decks are at odds, which is a great, great um, opportunity to discuss. Um, too many brews. Which one is a uh, pod variants? Let's go. The biggest depointing that stood out to me was Birthing Pod. I just think how it yeah. just keeps getting hooked up with like for years, year, <laughs> year, year after year, the junk just keeps getting free points. You know what I mean? Yeah, yep. I thought that too. I was like, what? he's got to upgrade something, so he's got wasteland and strip mine. Got both. Yeah. Of them. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and it's yeah, fine. I think junk is a good good deck to have as tier one if, if it gets which it is. I think. Oh, it's very healthy. If it's strong. I think that's a good sign of a good metagame, right? If the junk continually wins events, you're like, okay, I like this metagame. I have the ability to play around in this space, as opposed to say if Thassa's uh, Oracle is like 90% of decks and it's it's the best deck. You know, that's that's mm -hmm. a awkward spot. Yeah. All right, so uh, this is this is a sea change. So it's basically uh, an up. Just I just updated the points essentially for the latest list, just to give an idea of what I would resurrect at a local event. Um, it's essentially Bant mid-range. So I was saying before how once I see Pod, Pod and um, uh, Jace at uh, zero, it makes me go, okay, uh, I want to play Junk because I want to play mid-range. But if Jace is free, I want to play Jace. So um, uh, being Bant, you don't lose much. You only lose Dress, Inquisition, Thoughtseize but instead you gain uh, blue cards. And now blue cards are zero points like uh, Jace. And look, Teferi has been sitting uh, at the zero point watch list for a while, um, which is a sign of how powerful it is. So the reason I would play Junk, uh, while I would play um, Bant uh, and give Junk a bit of a sea change into blue, uh, is this, this package, plus an incredibly strong suite of uh, creatures. And um, white just adds in incredible cards in the form of your three drops, flexible cards like Night of Autumn, uh, Night of the Reliquary to find Wasteland and Gaia's Cradle and the like, uh, Renegade Rallyer to return your Wastelands and, and so on. Um, and then the white top end of Skyclave Apparition as a universal answer to um, Oko's and the like, uh, Palace Jailer to push, uh, push through when you're on the uh, offensive. Uh, it's not very good when you're defensive, but you're a mid-range deck, so you should generally be proactive. Um, and then uh, a little bit of generating a little bit of value. Resto Angel I largely like because it has evasion. Flash Flying 3-4 is something I play quite often <laughs> for four, <laughs> even though it might not blink the best of uh, things other than gaining two life, let's say. Um, then your other powerhouses alongside Titania with uh, Fractal Identity um, is pretty much the reason to be in the uh, mid-range uh, blue-white. I, I don't like this in control. Um, I've tried to do it. I've tried to have Fractured Identity and then Mystic Sanctuary return it, cast it again and all these kind of things. But five mana sorceries that don't win the game, that, that skew the game dramatically in your favor, but they don't instantly win the game, uh, is a liability except for mid-range where you're just like curve out, curve out, curve out. They keep answering your threats and then you're like, you know what, last card in hand is Factor Identity and my last card in hand is Jace and I'll slam this Jace when the board settles. Um, so Vin's 
is something I return wasteland and the like with. Uh, I, I'm curious about um, putting in the, uh, uh, forget the one, the white X and it can remove remove anything. Forget the name. Prismatic. Prismatic. Yeah, prismatic yeah. Ending. Um, yeah. That's, that's like you said, white removal is fantastic. So I think it should, it deserves a slot in here somewhere, but I yeah. haven't really quite figured that out. Um, I'm still looking at where to cut, you know, and shave cards. Um, and just a very small artifact package so you don't get null rotted out um, and uh, that you can play null rod. So you just side out your um, side out your birthing pod or something uh, against those artifact mm. decks and play three null rods. Um, so this is this is the, the idea that I'm having with the, your short list of, of points. I'm not sure here whether um, Uro, Uro is a really good late game card to catch up on, but it's so opposed to curving out. It's just, I, I really don't like going turn one mana dork, turn two Uro. It, yeah. Unless maybe you have another feels. mana dork in hand or another one drop to play off it. It just, mm. it doesn't sit right yeah. with me for mid-ranges proactive strategy. And so I was thinking it might be Jitter or it might be Caracas because Caracas synergizes with the with the Knight of the Reliquary. Um, but that's essentially... Uh, my what I would sleeve up with the latest points uh, change if I wanted yeah. to play mid range. What do you think in terms I think, of? I think one of the interesting things is like what I found over time is I I started off playing Euro with like six effectively six mana dorks. Yeah, um, but you never get more than one escape from your Euro um, is the yeah. problem. And and I think James Arthur came to a similar conclusion. Like um, if you're playing that many creatures, it's quite hard. It incentivizes you to play a higher density of cantrips um, if you really want to be on the Euro plan. Um, so it's still good, but don't expect to cast it more than once, is I guess the, the thing that I'd say. Yeah, that's true. Maybe when but, you're thinking it through. Yeah. And if you're only casting it once, um, I would I would probably remove this and I would end up uh, playing Caracas because Caracas is is just amazing. Yeah, yeah bounce stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I what I would observe, Sav, is that you're basically so you're tra you're trading off. Say if we just take junk as the starting point, you're losing black, so you're losing a bit of hand disruption and some other utility, I suppose. Um, and you're gaining like the cantrips in the early game, and you're gaining like it looked like those blue cards were mainly like late game haymakers. Late game, like, yeah, like you you, yeah. you play a brainstorm, but the main thing, the main reason to play blue here is. Um, mana drain into titania or you know some kind of like really back-breaking vault ahead in mana um and the thing that junk can't do which is in the late game you deployed your threats and then you hold mana drain in your hand and then you counter the thing that they they need to they need to do to to uh, stabilize the game mm. um and yeah mana drain got days as well extreme mm. and like oh these Mana Drain is one of the reasons to play uh, blue in it. And then the other is uh, really nice sideboard cards that um, have a little bit of difficulty, uh, that junk junk sometimes has difficulty with some of the some of the uh, decks. Um, and uh, Days, because it's on curve. That's, that's about it. But you lose Choke as well. I, I even played Choke in the early iterations of this deck. <laughs> and I played just horizon the horizon lands oh, yeah. and i cut on my um you know hallowed fountain type cards and only had the og jewels and uh temple garden um and it was totally playable i just locked out one of my blue sources to lock the opponent out of the game 
Uh, it was playable, but now that we've got Jace, which is double blue, um, and you, you you kind of feel like oh, maybe I can't play Choke, but I, I think you can tweak the mana base and you could definitely play Choke as well. Have you just have your cake and eat it too, you know? So that's my idea of, of what I would play. Now, Dan, I know that you're you're also um, kind of brewing in that mid-rangey space, but you were going four colors, all right? Yeah, so let me find the share screen. Yeah, I think I, I, I did look at four color like blue junk or something, you know, <laughs> something along those yeah. lines. You get, get to play get to play your, your um, Duress Inquisition Thought season and the like. Um, yeah. But this is the, the uh, other end of the spectrum. Yeah, so have you got, um, can you guys see this on the screen now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, this is my Omnas um, deck. So um, before the points change, I also had Gush Lutri um, in the deck as well. So um, what you can see, like compared to like sort of Sarv's deck is there's a higher number of first-time cantrips. Yep. Um, uh, and that's there to like better um, enable um, Euro. Um, there's, a, there's 11 proactive um, uh, sort of one mana spells to support Dreadhold Arcanist being retained as a point um, and then um, and Murktide. So if you're going to play the two Delve spells, you've really got to um, have a higher um, density of cantrips. Yeah. One of the reasons why I like Arcanist is with Mental Note and Thought Scour, you can reload your bin um, if you play that twice and then you can get another crack out of Euro because um, uh, otherwise it could be quite hard to, um, to support it. Um, so yeah, a lower number of sort of one-drop creatures and a higher number of, of cantrips. Um, uh, I'm also testing Reality Chip, um, which is a new card from um, the Kawagama set, um, uh, which basically runs like Future Sight. So in the, in the late game, you kind of, you wait for a spot where you can equip it. Um, it gives you information and tells you when to crack your fetch lands as the game goes along. Um, and then you equip and go off. I think one of the other interesting things about the list that I found to be powerful um, is that with Omnath, with a single fetch land, there's a bunch of um, spells that trade up in terms of their ability to be mana sinks and things like that. So imagine you can make sort of five mana essentially out of a fetch land. So that's enough to um, play and equip a reality chip, play and equip um, a batter skull, um, double bone crusher giant, you know, double brazen borrower, um, uh, do those kinds of things. Um, the, the deck's got a bunch of engines basically for the end game and, and a bunch of removal. Um, so the engines are Sylvan Library. You think of that with Omnath, how it's like a, a library of Alexandria. Like if you draw two cards every turn, one of which is a land, you regain the four life um, and that kind of thing. So I think that's a really great engine. Um, there are engines in, oh look, look Ter Terrestrial Carvu like is an amazing card, right? Having two Tarmogoyfs in a deck, like how good is that? Um, that, I have stone... to comment on the fact that that was yeah. uh, that card was pushed out of my rug list constantly because of all the zero point amazing new red cards like Ragavan yeah. and you know what's mm. his, uh, what's his name Dreadhorde Arcanist and the like. But the moment that the points update was there, I was like, okay, well the um, you know the A call version of this deck guaranteed plays ter territorial Carvu. Um, yeah. If you don't want to pay points on your threats, that card is really really good. Yeah, I think it's cool. The other thing that I've um, I've done is like, I mean, Drew and I talk about this a lot. I really hate two mana counter spells. Like I just hate them with passion. Um, and because this deck's looking to really tap out 
um, I've gone for force of will, force of negation, spell snare and mental misstep as my only counters. Um, and I've also got Malevolent Hermit <laughs> in the main deck, um, which is something you can equip if you need to. Um, it's also something you can use the mana for Omnath um, if, you manage, if you end up thought scouring it um, or what have, what have you into your, um, into your graveyard. Um, and I found like in, when Drew and I have been testing it, like it's quite powerful, um, you know, in terms of like managing, allowing me to jam my Oko in the late game. Um, or, you know, if I have to force a will a critical spell, um, then I'm not going to have that counter back. Um, so yeah, I, I found it's reasonably strong. It could probably be a spell pierce. Um, likewise, Bone Crusher Giant might be a spell pierce. I've got a, but this is my anti-Jace weapon, like, like please bounce my Bone Crusher Giant is kind of, um, you know, what I want to say with the Jace and I'll just stomp it again. Um, yeah, I think uh, I like that you've taken the, um, the, the cue from the change in, in the points list that we don't have to be incredibly low to the ground and incredibly efficient on, um, on mana in order to survive. Now we have the ability to be a little bit more flexible with, yeah, you've got things that carry equipment. Uh, you know, yes, a two mana, two one, you know, but it carries equipment kind of like when you chuck out a Snapcaster Mage uh, and it counters spells, so it's more flexible. Uh, I can see what you're going for there. Yeah, I think um, the other thing I'd observe is that, like, I don't know if people, people might have forgotten how good Batter Skull is against the Tempo deck. Like, the thing is, it's almost unbeatable um, once, if you can get it to resolve. Um, and so, like, the other night, um, I think Drew, like, played, um, like, a Monastery Mentor, had about 10 tokens in play, um, and um, at one point had getting the Trials holding down one of my threats. But, like, I had... Um, a Battle Skull and an Omnath and a Territorial Kavu um, and I'm essentially gaining 10 plus life a turn and attacking for 10 and like that's just really hard for any kind of tempo deck to overcome so people should think about Battle Skull again in Stonefish this time. Yeah we might we may well be in the environment where zero point Stoneforge Mystic uh, along with you know zero point pod and all the other other kind of um, you know the encouragement to to the decks that have been given over the over the course of a couple of updates uh, start to define the format again because I used to define the format a while ago, yeah. twenty fourteen or something. Yeah, I've so also got yeah twenty two lands as well, which is really interesting yeah. um, to support Blasadru, which is a great anti um, breach card. Is my <laughs> one of my main. Um, things that I love about like counter like killing a breach with a land seems pretty amazing for me. Yeah, I'm definitely slotting that one into the um into the sea change version as well. Easy, easy land slot in there. And yeah. uh, I'm also running I'm running 22 lands plus 23rd land, which is um Kazandu Mammoth, which oh, yeah. um, I, I I quite like that card. Um, it yeah. often gets cut because of um the way that a deck might line up. But if you've got a land slot and you need another three dot threat, then Card's great. Yep. Mm. The other deck that um, the Birthing Pod did pointing um, kind of reminded me of was Isaac's old um, kind of Time Walk Birthing Pod, oh, yeah. Spellseeker yeah. Ephemerate deck. So that's what I thought. That's gained a, That's lost a point. Like maybe that's good again. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd run and try that. And then it and now it's lost a point. I think. I think it gained two points off um, Time Walk. Uh, one essentially one point off Time Walk though. By the time it was made, uh, yeah, it lost its Oko as well. Yeah, it used to have a. Used to be able to free roll on Oko as yeah, well, which yeah. gave it this kind of broken sort of. And now I can free roll Jace, and it's the kind of deck where Jace is good. Exactly, yeah. exactly yeah. right. So yeah, I think I think the pod 
brewing territory is like wide open. Um, I think maybe uh, Dan can comment on pod because you've played pod in this list, but in the end you've decided to cut it. Um, yeah. And I think that's a legitimate decision, even so though that's... people will go, oh no, you know, no brainer. You got to include the zero point card. There is a, there is an active build cost to yeah. a pod and an, a uh, tempo cost to pod, right? Yeah. So there's like, there's life problems. There's like, yeah, the temp, you kind of, almost lose a turn it feels a lot of the time when you play pod um and i i kind of resolved i think it's more of a for, for my mind more of a combo piece because you have to really be able to recuperate uh the lost tempo but um yeah definitely tried it didn't quite get there it was it always felt like the worst card in the list but you know you can see my considering here is pretty long like I've been through oh, yeah. a, a lot of iterations of this yeah. every brewer's considering list is like, <laughs> like 84 cards yeah that's right and pod, i think i just deleted pod like pod's not even in there but i've, I've had a look at it over time something yeah. i wanted to talk say about pod though um is that something you neglect is that uh it's actually a colorless card you can treat it as a colorless card yeah and it's a colorless card that you can cast with mishra's workshop so I was yeah. thinking of so that's like, real. Ooh, <laughs> I, yeah, I had not thought about that. So I was thinking of trying pod in like even something like colorless ramp, like Eldrazi. You've got your matter reshaper into Thor Not Seer into Reality Smasher kind of thing. You can try it there, and I think it could work because um, those decks need selection, and uh, that's good. But one of the um, problems is if you only have two or well, one five, one six drop or one five drop. If you draw it, the pod's less powerful. And, and likewise, if you have two, you can have two, but if you draw both, both of them, the pod's less powerful. So you just need to be careful around the number of hits in, with your pod chains. That's, yeah. that's the challenge I found. If, if you're using pod in an artifact-based deck or Mishra's Workshop deck, you may only have 14 creatures or something. Uh, so the pod chains are going to be quite tight. So yeah, one sure. thing that people often neglect is when they look at pod, they don't look at it as... Um, what if I were to play, instead of this pod, I were to play a four mana colorless creature where I lose four life and it comes into play and it, uh, you know, do does something and is a creature. Uh, that kind of emulates that first pod activation. Mm. And in, in many instances, if you haven't built your deck in a certain way, uh, your the amount that the pod sets you back over the course of about two turns before you start recuperating it from you know turn three onwards after that uh, is a distinct cost. Uh, however, as as Dan pointed out, if you play your pod and it causes you to do something so broken, like take two extra turns in a row, or um, summon a kiki jiki and, and win the game you know you, you do something that is so dramatic and makes such a mark on the game uh with that first activation then you need to be prepared for the pod to only come into its own after three or four or five turns of gain two life here remove a persist counter here and progressively upgrade your creatures uh, and that's the the latter is the era that we were in back in like 2014 and now i don't think we're in that era so i think it's possible that pod just might not might be a perfectly fine zero point card uh, because of these considerations. Um, mm. But we're totally open to it being broken, right? Some someone yeah. uh, just the exact right points configuration now to make uh, key key pod a thing again. Um, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so if we if we turn our eyes back to the uh, the points list, so I'll bring that one up um, now. The I think the I think the interesting um, 
next step, next discussion point is uh, what what jumps out at us next? And, and, and for me, the next thing was, it's always about clusters. You know, as a, as a brewer, you rarely go, here's one card. I want to brew about this, around this one card. And then you find out that that one card and a single point change doesn't dramatically enable your deck from being bad to mediocre or mediocre to a little bit above mediocre. Uh, I'm really looking for the, the cluster, the packages. And for me, this was a package, uh, Doomsday minus one and Personal Tutor minus yeah. one. The two together, uh, yeah. I think this, you know, dramatically enables uh, decks that really haven't seen the light of day for the last about two or three years. There are some dedicated Doomsday aficionados that are, you know, trying to make that that uh, deck, you know, tier one. Uh there are also dedicated Storm aficionados who just dropped off Storm, you know, like uh, JP Kelly dropped off Storm, did, just didn't didn't play because the deck was just not well positioned and it was a tempo, sea of tempo and fighting an uphill battle against uh, exactly what the points configuration was going to be. Uh, this is a dramatic change. And um, uh, f- first of all, do you have any comments on that? And then I'll, and then I'll pull up a list. Oh, I want Doomsday to be good. <laughs> I know, but like you know, I played Oracle for a while. Um, I think the gush pointing, obviously, you have to work out um, what the counterbalance is there. You, you, you know, if you're going to play Doomsday, you want to have gush to win with Oracle. Um, so you've you've um, added a point there to the kill. Um, I think I thought there was a um, I saw going around like an interesting um, sort of Doomsday list list that had like a um, a reanimator sub element to it, um, which seemed pretty good. So. And I tested that a little bit and I was impressed um, with it at that time. So I wouldn't be averse to going back and having another look at that um, again. Mm. Yeah, because like reanimated, like, you know, one of the weaknesses with the doomsday kind of the lists are they like they're in on a single plan a little bit. Um, so if you can diverse, yeah, so if you can diversify a little bit, it strengthens those decks. Um, and so that's why I was attracted to that. I mean, you're still pretty in on the search and on the graveyard, which are the places yeah. where you want to, if you're an interactive deck, you want to be having cyborg cards that interact with the graveyard and, and then search, uh, search effects. Um, so you'll still be facing a lot of hate, but I thought that kind of um, combination was quite interesting. So, yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I kind of explored that space a little bit. Um, it's It's been something that's been percolating in the back of my mind, you know, playing, playing uh, Storm, I'll pull up the storm variants here. Uh, so this is this is the one that I was playing with, um, and I've played I've I've played quite a bit of storm, largely in goldfish mode. So, but I, I, to my knowledge, that is how you're meant to play storm. So <laughs> hopefully, I'm doing it right. So all the storm aficionados out there. Um, so I've called this one TT storm, top deck tutor storm. Um, and also because this looks like the your opponent's eyes crying when you uh, <laughs> the emoji of them <laughs> crying <going>? when you <laughs> wreck them. You're like skewing symmetry. That's not good. Um, so the, these are the two really, really uh, kind of de- deck de- deck list defi- defining cards for um, TT Storm. Um, so scheming symmetry and personal tutor. You generally not so much for personal tutor, but let's just take Skimming Symmetry as an example. You generally only cast Symmetry when you're going to draw the card anyway, and 
if you're going to draw the card that you have tutored, i.e. you are tutoring a card for one, maybe two mana um, with, the, with the, uh, the preordain in there, if you are tutoring a card in Storm, you have usually won. That's just the nature of it. So it's really heavy on the tutors. Um, and we've got Profane Tutor, these two tutors, uh, Rhystic and Grim Tutor. Uh, this is essentially a tutor, but it's actually win the game, uh, to be honest. Uh, and Dark Petitions. There's so many ways to tutor that you have a, an extreme level of redundancy in uh, your Storm deck. Um, and then obviously your rituals. This is nothing revolutionary here. Um, there's only so many ways you can build this. Uh, and then your rocks and yet another tutor amongst your rocks, uh, which synergizes with Helm of Awakening. I don't play any of the um, Baral and those kind of cost-reducing critters. I don't want to have a lightning rod uh, there and I don't want to have to sandbag my lightning rod in, in hand and, and uh, pass. Um, I'm okay with playing Helm of Awakening against uh, my control mid-range opponent and allowing them to cast something for a little bit cheaper and then go to my turn and then combo out with a Veil of Summer and a Remand in hand. So that's fine. Um, but here's the other, you know, big, big haymaker, <laughs> obviously, in terms of depointings. Um, oh, I've good. tried, you know, fitting in all of those other, like, Echo of Eons and the like, these, these you know, Echo of Eons and so on, uh, just doesn't doesn't quite work. So this is my considering uh, list. Uh, you just have too many of those really expensive payoffs. And this is really good with Gamble, but that's about it. Um, you can discard it to Frantic Search and so on. But um, the other contender was Enlightened Tutor. So in, instead of um, Profane Tutor, I still have to test that. I haven't I had a chance to test it uh, fully. Um, but Enlightened Tutor is, is really, really good at setting up Storm's uh, early wins. And almost all win, you know, turn two wins exist based on Black Lotus. That's why you pay four points for it. So if you turn one Enlightened Tutor for Black Lotus, you're almost always setting up a, a, a really, really uh, easy win. Um, however, I opted to just go for Profane Tutor at the moment. Um, however, in discussion with... Uh, uh, Drew recently we were saying that Urza Saga might actually be the go for that seventh point um, as you can see here it's Yordmos World Black Lotus Wish for Talisman um, and uh, the seventh point is Profane but I would quite quite happily um, switch that into Urza Saga maybe Drew you can comment on why Urza Saga is good in a, in a storm list yeah, well, again, it's got it's got the suspend like profane tutor, so it's not ideal. Like the, the problem with profane tutor is that if you're storming off and drawing cards, you can just be dead. Uh, although it's a wonderful setup card, obviously, um, and you can cast off monsters eye, so it is a strong card. Um, Urza Saga is a similar thing. It it can kind of on suspend tutor up your Black Lotus, which is your, one of your key cards, um, in an uncounterable way. Uh, it also improves your mana a bit, gives you an extra cult, extra land source. Um, and it can create these constructs, which um, can at least hold down the fort and block for a little bit to buy you some time. Or they can represent like a plan B or plan C, um, where, well, plan B, um, where you, you might have two four fours or two five fives quite easily with some of your rocks and chromatic star and all that stuff. So that's, it's a bit of threat diversification, um, which is going to be particularly good, maybe post-board if they bring in Deafening Silence or some, you know, some kind of anti-storm card or graveyard disruption. 
Oh, as a saga kind of ignores that. So that's that's just one one idea you could have. Yeah, again, it's not good when you're storming off. You can't cast it off Monster's Eye. You can't recast it off Yorgmas Will, but it adds another aspect to the deck which might be valuable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, an interesting exploration space for our seventh point because, yeah, if your profane tutor is very regularly finding Black Lotus or LED or something like that, then um, Urza Saga does the same thing but slots into your land base and Storm often wants to play like 18.5 lands. Some It keeps oscillating between 18 and 19 and sometimes you play a Talarian Academy as your seventh point is another option. Um, otherwise, your 19th land can often be, uh, you know, Ancient Spring, for example. So just something else to slide in a 19th land if you want. Um, so, yeah, that's that's essentially what, what I was um, exploring. And, and I have explored as well um, the alternative of not putting two tutors as your uh, sixth and seventh points and instead playing two points in uh, Tinker. So it's the same, same principle of um, top deck tutor storm where you're still running those, um, uh, let's see. Uh, it's Tinker for Citadel. Grid, there we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tinker for Citadel. So you're still running these kind of the TT, um, but you're, you have fewer t tutors, but one of those tutors is Tinker. And is basically always going to be a uh, bolus of citadel. Um, you can also use it when you're comboing off and you haven't found tendrils to find etherflux reservoir. <laughs> um, so I remember Tim Evers was playing an etherflux reservoir last time. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's like, a great it success. Works. Yeah, it works, and like yeah. Tinker finds it. Um, and I've I've been playing around with it, but there's some real challenges to this deck. I've really tried to make it work, even in gold fishing. Um, and you have these amazing turns, which is the, enti the entire reason behind wanting to brew with this is Personal Tutor leading into Doomsday. And Personal Tutor also leads straight into Tinker. So Personal Tutor finds like win cons. It finds um, your uh, card draw tools because essentially Personal Tutor leads into a Bolus of Citadel. Um, you know, it, does, it, it can find you mana if for some reason you needed to set up something, you know, in some convoluted way. Um, but basically, that, that's the reason why I wanted to, to um, go experiment with this. But the cost is huge. Um, and the cost is like this clunky mana base. I've tried to make the mana base work. And you, you kind of want to fit in Great Furnace, Seed of the Synod and Bolt of Whispers. Uh, to maximize your tinker possibilities but this also causes you to lose some like really serious important uh, lands like scrubland ancient spring so it's possible you have to cut mentor in the sideboard and losing mentor is really really an issue um then the uh uh, artifact count to make Mox Opal work just doesn't work. In Storm, you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, three artifact lands and a whole bunch of artifacts here. You're not, they're not actually artifacts. They're like rituals. They're very, very temporal. They're, they're not often on the battlefield for you to tap your Lotus Petal. So you know, tap, tap your um, Mox Opal. So often, at best, your Mox Opal is a Lotus Petal. But that's at best. It's a lotus petal. You have to jump through hoops to to work, and I can't quite get the counts to to balance out, um, which is why I'm I'm kind of sticking with the um, this uh, TT Storm version being the better version. Um, but uh, it's still an unexplored design space. What are your thoughts on Storm at the moment? 
I'll just say quickly, the, J, yeah, the JP Storm kind of um, foundation is is a beautiful and strong deck. Like the, the way the mana base maps onto the color um, kind of distribution is is excellent and brilliant. It's it's a great deck, but, you know, people were worried about Hole Breacher and Opposition Agent and Narset kind of stopping the, the, the cantrip effects and, and shutting it down. Those cards don't actually see that much play at the moment, I don't believe. So I, th I think Storm is viable, um, but you got to be dedicated and and yeah. And I like the, I'll, I'll, I side with your preference, not for Tinker, but for the the more just kind of liquid liquid approach of just things are moving at lower CMCs, um, more more traditional Storm, I suppose. Yeah, it very much yeah. feels like I'm playing like Legacy or something where it's a very traditional approach to to Storm, um, and. You're absolutely right. The, the hate pieces aren't really being played that much, but even in discussions with, with JP, um, the uh, the hate that comes out against Storm, like people bring in a null rod for incidental hate against you. Um, they bring mm. in like something to stop you drawing cards or you know whatever it might be. Um, graveyard. Graveyard hate and artifact hate. They're the two biggest ones yeah. that kind of come yeah. out. Um, and uh, JP was saying it's, you know, you can play through them. Like there are ways you just adjust your play style. You even trim on sideboard cards expecting what they're going to bring in. They're playing mid-range, so you expect they to have oof. So you trim on your card slightly. You trim on an egg here or there. Um, and you, you can just play through it. You don't have to worry. But the Tinker version uh, is more susceptible, slightly more susceptible to, um, to hate. Um, and that's not where yeah. I want to be. I'd rather just kind of go, okay, we're just going to go really, really, really um, linear with storming off um however the ability to play around hate as needed without being too vulnerable to any one particular line also relevant to this point points announcements the, the if there are fewer ragavans that will make your top tutors more playable because yeah, ragavan right. would have hurt <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be true. playing that is true previously <laughs> you don't want to play them and then pass the turn but sometimes you have to Mm, yeah, these these yeah. two are um, basically you. Ninety nine percent of the time with scheming symmetry, you don't pass a turn. You hold it in your hand. But for PT, yeah, you just go like, all right, turn one PT, and I'll place um, uh, I'll place Doomsday on top, and then I'll untap, draw my Doomsday. I'll cast Dark Ritual Doomsday with Preordain in hand, and then I'll win the game because that is the easiest way to win the game. You're on the play, and all that required was. PT and preordain mm -hmm. two lands. And the two lands are like it only requires two cards. So a card draw mm -hmm. and, and a personal tutor. Uh, and dark ritual, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um so those those three cards together just enable that line and you just win on the spot. Uh can also be done with any other ritual like Cabal Ritual and Cataxian Probe. So you know there's ways to just win on turn two entirely enabled by this now zero point card. what's the doomsday pile if there's no oracle what uh, so it? doomsday pile is uh brainstorm um uh black lotus uh dark ritual um yorgmoss will Dangerous. and tendrils of agony yeah that's a generic generic doomsday pile it's probably like 95 percent of your doomsday piles uh and that requires you on on the turn that you play if if that's the same turn that you're playing it and you're playing, um, uh, you're playing that that stack alone is eight storm. Mm. So yeah, okay. um, you just need to play doomsday and 
preordain doomsday and gataxium probe Gitaxian or whatever probe. it might be yeah, yeah. it's just it's an instant kill like that straight away so yeah and that's like most of your doomsday piles um there are other doomsday piles you can make too and you basically just need more mana uh less storm or more storm and less mana and you can you can manage your way to, around it if for some reason someone has previously exiled your uh your moss will or ex exiled your brainstorm with the uh, you know like they force of negation your brainstorm let's say or they they delve your graveyard away early game or whatever it might be uh they'll uh, you know exile your graveyard so there's ways to build other piles but we could we could probably spend an entire episode yeah there's there's a lot of <laughs> online resources about doomsday so. yeah, go, go check yeah there's the primer for that on moxfield is actually really amazing uh, yeah. have a read of that i think the, the decks had like a thousand three hundred views or something like is that, that. seven point highlander yeah seven point highlander oh, cool. like, there's a real there's a really excellent um uh articulation of the strategy behind the deck and uh, right. entire primer yeah. right yep. there it's beautiful mm. Uh, mm, nice so uh, I'll stop. I'll stop sharing this. We've. I think we've seen enough storm. <laughs> oh, there's not enough storm in the let's format. Talk, let's talk hermit druid. Let's talk um, hermit druid. I love it. I love it. So yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll bring up this list just so you can have it in the background. Um, so we're now here. So we've talked about pretty much all the cards on this list, and this is probably the last kind of real call out card. Hermit Druid's been on the points list for nearly a decade, Forever. I think. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was a, it was a like a predator of the format ten years ago. And um, Luke Mulcahy said Mulch has been playing Hermit Druid and is the Hermit Druid aficionado. And anytime, anytime it comes to, oh, you know, can I build Hermit Druid or need a primer for Hermit Druid or uh, can we depoint Hermit Druid? Basically, just ask Mulch because it's the the deck has just got so many ins and outs. It's complicated, um, so it's now what minus one point, so zero points. What can you do with it, Dan? Yeah, look, I don't know. I'm, I wouldn't make no claims to being a Hermit Druid aficionado or anything, but I, I look at it and I go because I don't know. I don't mind a bit of combo um, and the idea of just winning on the same on a turn. Um, is enticing to me. And <laughs> um, uh, a dirty Thassa's Oracle player. That's right. So, <laughs> like, um, uh, uh, but you know, obviously, like the function of the card is to put your entire library into your graveyard and play no basic lands, and then um, usually use Dread Return to pop an Oracle back on the on the battlefield after you've um, played Nakamura, you know, put Nakamura into play or something like that. Um, so, like in the past, I've mucked around with versions of um, like Survival of the Fittest decks that play um, Thassa's Oracle. Um, alongside like an aggro, like a, you know, a, a Hogak and stuff like that and a bunch of mana dorks um, and things like um, Neoform as an ability to like use one of your dorks to pop the Oracle into play, like stuff like that. And so the deepening of, of Hermit Druid and to a lesser extent Birthing Pod makes me think, oh, maybe I should like start playing with that kind of idea again. Like when I've built it in the past, it's a total glass cannon. Like the, there's very little room for defense in it. But it's for people who want to do crazy crazy kind of things. Um, uh, so like, I think there's you know, potentially some fun to be had in that, whether or not it turns into like a, a genuinely viable deck um, in the format, um, you know, I think would remain to be seen. There's like, you know, there's lots of good graveyard hate at the moment. And if you miss on Hermit Druid, it's just, it can be game over. Like it's either win or lose, right? Um, and so 
you know, are you a coin flip kind of person is the is the question probably to ask. But yeah, like I've had a deck that's got like, you know, it's got Hermit Druid in it, Thassa's Oracle, Cephalid Illusionist, like just all the ways to pop um, everything in the graveyard um, and win on the spot. So, but there's a bunch of people who like that kind of two card combo stuff. So maybe there's something in that. Yeah, maybe you have to think about how do you give the Hermit Druid haste, something like that. Anger. You put anger in your, yeah. in your deck. Or, um, <laughs> or, or like mum, like mother of runes or something, just to protect yeah. it, either protection or haste. It loves doing yeah. it from the graveyard. Like whatever that protection is, it's going to be from the graveyard. It's going to be like glory in the graveyard or <laughs> anger, you yeah. know, that really old school. Yeah. Hermit Druid is such an old school card. That... Anger is a good card. Dance, mm-hmm. You can do it in survival lists. Like the fact that there's a in vintage, you know, that survival aggro was good. There should be a comparable bizarre survival aggro list in in um seven point dance tinkered with it it's he's uh, there's potential there yeah i don't think it's uh you know i haven't been able to master anything but you know for brewers i think it's not you know something to explore um i also think um the idea you just run a like a main deck xanted swarm so then you can kind of like attack with that and then you know pop it in the graveyard and then put your home and draw it into play if anger's already there and then win on the spot that seems pretty fun to me yeah <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So there's so many, yeah. there's so many things that uh, this will encourage people to do. I guess you know, like it gets the the brewing juices flowing, right? Yeah. For those who know of the card, I mean, in in a year's time, maybe no one will even know about Hermit Druid. Yeah, exactly right. Once it's off the list, <laughs> and someone will spike a tournament with it, like the Channel Mirror or something like that. Occasionally wins a tournament, right? No yeah. one's just, no one's ready for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the yeah. um. The other other point here to talk about is um, personal tutor by itself, actually. Well, and life from the loam. Have we talked about that? Yeah, we haven't. We talked a little bit. Delved into it too much, but personal tutor by itself. Uh, I think that one of the things that you know this this really excited me. We'd been talking about personal tutor on the committee for ages, and I really, really, I was in a miracles phase for a while. I really wanted personal tutor to be zero, just so I could play it in miracles. But that was back when you know channel mirror was being heavily played, and you know it was just too dangerous at the time. Um, but now we can do that, and as the as the kind of uh, um, presiding miracles expert, Drew, <laughs> what you don't do you want to be of- that guy. What do you think? <laughs> I'm now the guy who plays Mish's workshop, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. running into Nolrod all the time. Crushing face. Yeah, I, I think no, I agree. I was really excited about the, even putting it, it being on the watch list to the point that, you know, I've bought my copy. I've got my copy. I paid my $100 and I got my copy. Um, and then I started testing it and I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is good enough oh, no. because it's, it's a little bit slow. I think it is slow and it telegraphs your play a bit unless you can. Because you don't want to get the card straight away uh, in Storm, you can go personal tutor, Kataxian probe, and you're happy. But in Miracles, you you're not doing that in your main phase because it's not triggering the miracle. Um, but if you do it in your opponent's turn, you can so you can personal tutor and then pass the turn and then tap top or crack a scrabbling claws or draw a card somehow, and you can trigger your miracle that way. So that that's decent. You can think about that. I think if you're playing personal tutor in a Miracles like controlish deck, you want to have terminus um uh, as as well as maybe intrigue and, and balance like it gets balanced that for me that's yeah so those cards intrigue and balance and terminus they can negate the card disadvantage that's inherent in this and like mystical tutor it's just are you able to um overcome the, the slowness of it and also 
are you able to deal with the fact that well maybe you don't play mystical tutor now maybe because because drawing mystical tutor and personal tutor is quite is very bad like some some people say it's bad enough just to draw one of them <laughs> like i know <laughs> michael, michael billinghurst would 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 would, would not play either you know yeah um no, no thank you no i mean he might, he might play mystical tutor if it's one or definitely zero points but um so when you, if you draw two you probably lose the game yeah. so maybe you, you just it in storm and that's about it yeah yeah but i'm, I'm just thinking miracles like a control based yeah. control combo kind of deck um there are there are like um this this um but maybe you play personal tutor and then you free up two points by not playing mystical exactly like this yeah. this harkens back to the really old versions of your list that ran uh treasure cruise if you think back at um mm. uh vintage you know 2007 vintage where it was end of turn mystical tutor for ancestor recall because that was the best card draw card so that going down a card to go up on cards and then now have access to your ancestor recall it's now available to you um was totally a fine way to negate the card disadvantage just i'm just going to go up on cards and yeah. maybe it's possible that this zero point card in miracles that enables a miracle but also in a pinch you draw it and you go okay well, yep it's slow but i'm going to personal tutor for my treasure cruise I'm yeah. going to draw three cards because the game's gone long and now my treasure cruise is there. I'm going to snap cast it back my treasure cruise or whatever it might be because you've freed up mm. those points. It's well, possible. Mystical Sanctuary, yeah. yeah it's, um, I, look, it's not, I, I don't know, if it's, going to, it's not going to break anything, but I think it's a nice line to go down and the yeah. same goes with um, if I want to get you really excited, okay, Drew? I want you to get really excited. All right. Cut Mystical Tutor, okay. Imagine that you've got personal tutor in hand, but you've got Teferi out plus yeah, one. Yeah, you yeah. can do this in the yeah. turn. That's good. You can you build plus... your own mystical tutor. Zero yeah, point. Yeah. yeah, no, well, you're winning if you got Teferi. Yeah, um, exactly. That's <laughs> pretty but weird. it's always, yeah, the balance, balance Teferi is good. But no, I like that. I'll, I'll think about that. I mean, the Treasure Cruise is good. Um, the problem these days is that everything's, the, the board is so heavily content, like, yeah, there's this huge there's a, there's a crashing wave of creatures coming at you all the time taking time out even to draw three cards can lose you the game so you got to have good early interaction there is they're printing good cards um but the pro the main problem is that competing for delve is a the powerhouse of Merktide regent which even a miracles deck can want to play because it's so good and it helps you finish the game so you know, maybe you can support both though if you have mental note or other things like that um yeah so i think treasure cruise and this is playable yeah i'll, I'll check that out yeah i still reckon um mystical is two points better than personal shooter so like yeah. I've, i have nightmares of like surprise value like, of, of people just going bang mystical tutor and treat the angel right like that's you it's, know uh, it's um, nightmares i think it's the right kind of ratio drew. like i literally yeah. have nightmares of drew doing that because <laughs> if it happened to me so much you go oh, i just lost out of nowhere mystical tutor yeah. in a turn it's just yeah, it's very. Oh, I have very to suffer losing the whole game, and then maybe I'll win <laughs> at the end. Yeah. And then you star us just for like one turn. Yeah, you're <laughs> lucky. Guard you with a Tarmogoyf. Sideways <laughs> yeah. for too many turns. Yeah, and I think it's good. I think I'll I'll try it more just to for fun. Yeah. yeah. Maybe personal tutoring for life from the loan. <laughs> so maybe, well, yeah, maybe you... the, that last kind of discussion we could have is just about life from the loan itself. Uh, and maybe what brews that's inspired. Um, I might turn over to uh, one of you whilst I let 
uh, my dog out because he's whining at the door. He's got a dog door upstairs and he's decided to whine here. So <laughs> who'd like to talk about life from alone? And you're the green player. Uh, so, I play for, so look, I tried life from alone in my um, in the list that I put up on the screen earlier. Um, I just didn't, didn't find it as high impact. Um, I think, uh, I guess one of the challenges with life from the loam is just how fast the format um, is at the moment. Um, it has been for a while, like, a, you know, maybe even two years ago when I would face up in a tournament um, against a lands player um, who would start dredging and I'd just drop, I would just drop time with Quoth and then maybe flash in Snapcast the Mage as, a, um, as an ambush viper. And that was enough to get me there, like just dredging lands every turn um, that wasn't going to get there, but perhaps like, you know, in combination with other kinds of um, threats, you know, I don't think you can just be loaming. Um, that can't be mm. the primary strategy. And so if you look at um, like some of those legacy band decks I was talking about earlier, um, they use it as a backup plan, a way to, to dredge, to, um, uh, to recast Euro. It's like a support card rather than a primary strategy. Um, so, I mean, let, let's hope that lands becomes, like gets some more wins because I think it's been, uh, it's needed some support for a while. So I'm glad to see um, Loam be depointed from that perspective. Um, whether it's enough to get lands there, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think it's a, a, you know, a good step from the community to open that design space up. The other thing is, um, you know, Lo Loam is, um, uh, you know, a great enabler for a dredge kind of list as well. Like it gets, gives that an extra tool um, to get its, um, its stuff into the board. And sometimes you've seen sort of hybrid life from the Loam um, sort of aggro decks with Hogak and things like that, like a dredge Loam lands combo yeah. um, hybrid. Um, and so there might be some additional space for that. And a couple of those decks, I recall, had performed okay um, in the past. So people well. should be looking there. Yeah, you can play Hogak. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that you've you've got. Um, I'm most excited about this in those more dedicated, like aggro or graveyard base strategies as a fair card in just a mid range deck or something. I'm less excited about it because it. On the other hand, it faces the Jason Mind Sculptor problem in that. You've still got to contest the board, um, but if you're if you are winning the board, which is half the battle. But if if you are winning the board, then you can slam your jace. Well, maybe if you're winning the board, you can then start using this as well to just maintain the advantage, like in terms of value or I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Um, how would you yeah. abuse this, Sar? Because you've you've used this a few years ago in like a slower, controlly, grindy way, but. Was that the Borvin Goss kind of deck? Like that yeah, yeah. Five color monstrosity yep. that you beat me with? Yeah, yeah that's the one. <laughs> I think, oh, did, we, did we draw or did you beat me? I think we drew in that game. I think we ran out of time. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, well, that, it's, it it's a different era now, isn't it? Different era, yeah. right? That was, that was, yeah, that was like Protect Attack. Had ridiculous yeah. things where you get to uh, play a little bit of control, a little bit of mid-range, and then you get to just randomly sneak attack them out of nowhere uh, with yeah. Borborygmos. And because Borborygmos is... You've used life from alone to return, fill your hand with lands, and then Borbrigmos sends them all at your opponent's face, and yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, the in in that instance, that was like you know combo using loam as a combo finish in a way, but it also played mid range, so you could also just return lands, and it was like five colors and had wasteland because you know why not? Um, and what, what I would uh, actually uh, think back to is when in the early iterations of Rug Life, uh, I explored 
running Wasteland Strip Mine and then ended up uh, uh, like, I think it was when, I can't remember when Loam went to one, might've been just before it went to one. I'm not sure, but either way, I was trying experimenting with Loam uh, and I put it into my sideboard. Uh, it might've been maybe when Time Warp went to four. When Strip Mine went to one point. That's right. Yeah. That's why Strip Waste Loam. I think it was my three extra points on alongside Acol. Um, and then I just decided not Acol Time Walk was the way to go and went with that, you know, thug life. Uh, but then I came back to that again when um, when Time Walk went up to four uh, and I went, I got three extra points here. What do I do with them? Um, and I experimented a little bit and just went, well, I don't really care about my points. Like fundamentally, um, especially in that era, rug life, honestly did not care about its points it was just goblin guide turn it sideways spell pierce them what do i do with this so i went uh just chuck in wasteland strip mine you know into the land base doesn't really affect your deck um and i i put life from the loam in my aggressive versions into the sideboard and would have waste strip um apply pressure uh, as soon as they look like they're about to stabilize or that critical one turn before they have the wrath effect uh, you wasteland them off and set them behind one one turn and turn your timer both sideways again. Um, and then I'd have loam in the board because I recognised that my deck's so linear uh, that it really doesn't have the ability to go into the into the late mid to late game. So I needed something, and Uro didn't exist. All right. So Life from the Loam was my sideboard card and it would just come in in those matchups and I'd just randomly just keep returning lands when I just had disposable mana because I'm either, my thing, my board's already out and I just only have, you know, one mana counter spells. So didn't really care. So loaming back those cards. Um, I think that the, the lesson learned from that is um, uh, I will be experimenting with Loam as a sideboard card for grindy matches when I can't afford the point for Uro um and uh, or the blue for example uh and looking at how i can use it whilst being proactive so not trying to go full-on grindy control but go proactive and then have that have that way to bring dig back on cards and remember jace is zero two so you can brainstorm them back or cast brainstorm and you know you can try and generate some really serious card advantage from it uh without being a dedicated card advantage deck yeah, I think that's right. You think of it as a support card rather than a primary strategy. I think is the is the way to think about this card in the current um, sort of state of um, mm-hmm. of circumstance. Yeah. But yeah, look, let's hope that the lands deck can start carving it off again. It's been a while. Yeah, I think it's, it's good that the depointing comes at the same time as Besaju, because um, that's a good way to or like a reusable land. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm. having Besaju. Life from the Loam and Urza's Saga is uh, like a mm. one-point package. That's that all together is one point, and that's got some really nice engines to it. And once you start adding in other other utility lands that are amazing, it's Field of the Dead's pretty real. Mm. That is a that's a nightmare. If it'd be good if it wasn't a tap land, but yeah, yeah. It's still good. But yeah, well, yeah, if you if you want to go down the lands thing, like the lands angle, like yeah, I've seen it end a lot of games pretty fast. Yeah, the last thing I'll say, um, uh, Sav and Dan, is that when I saw the Lutri pointing, I did think, oh, Lurus, Lurus is still only one point. Oh, then yeah. The Lurus Breach deck must still be good. It's probably got some hits here with 
um, Gush or Dreadful Dragonus, Ragavan, whatever. But it's I would be looking how do I play Lurus? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it's really good value at one. Yeah. Now that now that we've seen these additional changes, um, I agree. I reckon um, I'll be looking at that too. Yeah, Lurus definitely for that for those um, combo-y decks, and then maybe um, Yorion comes into its four for the uh, mid-range decks. I hope so. Yeah, I, yeah. I've, can you I've make the mana base work? Though? And I've made it made it work, and it's quite consistent. And you just can't play like Oko. You want to play seven one-point cards in your Yorion deck. You don't want to play as soon as you play like Oko. You go, oh, but I didn't see my Oko that game, and I have less chance of seeing my two-point card. But when it's just all one-pointers, you're like, oh, whatever. Yeah, mid-range. I don't really care. I just draw whatever. Win isn't with whatever it, I have. Isn't it fascinating just about companions, how the journey we've been on uh, in terms of trying to calibrate their power level, like in terms of points and that, like, because we thought once they got the three points, three mana sorcery nerf, that that was enough. Oh, they were bad. And then, you know, Beckett starts, and then, and then well, they're bad. Oh, but they're still zero. Oh, and then they got point. Lutri was still a point then. So yeah. if it's one point and three mana sorcery, it must be bad. Um, so I wrote it off and then Beckett starts playing it as like a divination that you always start the game with. And I had to wrap my head around that and just watch how it played out is like always having a late game, no matter, um, no matter what happens. You can and always now ask it, divination. Yeah. And now it's at exactly. two points, which is a lot of points, you know, like, like true, That's like treasure cruise. Sorry, yeah. Dan. It's like, okay. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe maybe agree, but, three. Anyway, but, <laughs> well, that's a that's a discussion for a different time. topic. But yeah, yeah I, I I think I mean I think Lutri is still playable too because of how unique unique the asymmetry is that it brings. Um, but others may disagree. But when we'll see, I could be wrong. But it's just a fascinating, and I think the Lurus space and the Orion space will be the same. And in terms of, we're still taking our time to work out the true power of these cards. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it feels like a while ago that you could just like cast, cast Lutri as Flash with not paying any any mana. Everyone just started playing Ancestral Recall. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Ancestral Recall is just correct, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That. How could you play anything else? No, it's yeah. not fun. Yeah, and then yeah. at one, it was still everywhere. And now at two, it'll be, it'll, you'll see, it'll see play. You will just, you will see Lutri. You just yeah. won't see it as ubiquitous as before. And now, you know, Yorion and even like Gigantha is a um, an, an eligible contender for for decks to just play uh, with relatively little build around. Yeah, and I say Yorion in mid range because I'm not going to play Yorion anywhere else. It's only mid range because mid range has a glut of amazing cards all along the curve. You're always saturated with great options. So Yorion is yeah. a very very small deck building cost. You're building a whole bunch of one one pointers. So zero points becomes a contender, but at the moment you're absolutely right. I think Lurus is the uh, the place to be in the companion field whilst Lurus is one. I think as years go on, Yorian's just going to keep getting better because the cards are going to keep getting better. Or well, they're just going to, even if the power creep doesn't occur, there's just still going to print more good cards. You're going to have all these good cards so such that the average um, power level of, uh, of your deck is not going to diminish when you jump from 60 to 80 cards. Exactly. Even, well, it's it's going to be less than it would have been, but it still might be good enough. Exactly. And could... I, you know, I felt I felt that when um, when playing Yorion prior to like the ignoble hierarch era. Before then, I still felt like the card quality that I was drawing was always fine. Yes, I'm playing an Elves of Deep Shadow. Yes, it's slightly worse with the life loss, but 
it provides a different color mana, so that's fine. You know, like the, it it didn't hurt me dramatically. I always had great options. Um, however, once Ignoble Hierarch and so on got printed, I'm like, oh, I think Yorion's a legitimate contender now. And going forward, as you said, it will continue to get better and better to the point that you probably really won't not notice. There will be a few like irreplaceable cards like Tarmogoyf that you'll see a little bit less often. But remember, there's cards like Territorial Kavu we were just talking about before. Just another Tarmogoyf, quite consistently another Tarmogoyf. Mm. I wanted oh. to mention, I think there's, um, you know, we need to like be conscious that there's a bunch of decks here that are performing very well that are like largely unaffected by the points change. Yes. So the, the workshop deck, in particular, the workshop aggro deck is fantastic. Um, and, you know, will continue to be fantastic, I think. Um, uh, I think there's the Goblins deck probably loses Lutri uh, maybe in the sideboard. Oh, and Ragavan. Yeah, that was, that were kind of gravy anyway. Um, and I think that will continue to be good. One of the interesting ones that loses out a bit is um, is Prowess by um, gaining points on Arcanist and Gush, which are a couple of the, well, Arcanist is fantastic for like a double, of what do you do? You crawl worm your thing twice. Yeah, um, the best card that probably in yeah, that <laughs> yeah, and like it's usually it had been using gush and ancestral and treasure crews to reload, so it might lose some of its reload power. Um, but yeah, interesting to see how that one plays out too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a really wild, wild west metagame, isn't it? We're going to have some pretty yeah. interesting uh, uh, contenders for what the new best deck will be, and I think people can probably brew with anything on on this D point list and probably still sleeve up anything on the pointed list uh, from this announcement and uh, we'll have that chance to you know, take down an event. So it's going to be some exciting days, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well done. <laughs> well, I think that brings us to our uh, end of our chat. So thanks to everyone for coming along on this journey of our uh, you know, team brainstorming and, and testing. A uh, little bit of an insight into our heads and where they're at when we're uh, figuring out where we sit in a new meta and try to break we might not break it but we'll definitely try and build a good deck in this new meta thank you so thanks for joining us uh, cool. dan and drew uh and i guess we'll uh, chat to everyone later you're welcome to uh, check any of the links on the uh youtube video uh which i'll link any of these uh, uh deck lists that just be aware that they are you know, live, continually evolving lists. So whatever you see on the screen might be slightly different as our decisions change. And hey, when whether I decide whether Urza Saga or Profane Tutor is better in store, I don't know yet. So be prepared for them to be uh, slightly different. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Alf. Thanks, everyone.